Hello, 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 Miami Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Being a Dolphins fan is hard. It's hard because for so long, this team has been just the absolute picture of mediocrity. And now we have a head coach and a general manager and maybe even finally the owner is all on board with this idea of we need to rebuild the team. So we're going to strip everything down with the idea being that we're going to have a bad record this season, get a high draft pick. And next season, through the draft and free agency, really load up this team and most importantly, pick up a franchise quarterback. The And that is really what the high draft pick is designed to do, to be the vehicle for us to draft our franchise quarterback. And now, we can't seem to do that correctly. Because the Miami Dolphins... In a game against the Philadelphia Eagles, and granted, a Philadelphia Eagles team that has not performed particularly well, that is underachieved, but a Philadelphia Eagles team that came into this game knowing that a victory would tie them for first place in the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys came into this game. And so the Dolphins were going to have, you know, their hands full, maybe, but somehow this team comes out and puts on a big-time performance. This was the Fitzmagic game. Ready for Ryan Fitzpatrick's line? 27 of 39 for 365 yards and three touchdowns. So the Dolphins get this big win, 37-31. Incredible performance from Devontae Parker, 159 yards on seven receptions, a pair of touchdowns. Mike Gesicki, five receptions, 79 yards and a touchdown. The Dolphins, this was a heck of a game from the Miami Dolphins. They were outplayed in the first half, outphysicaled. It, it, it looked like they were having... A hard time, but they it was a spirited effort. They did some trickerations. Heck, Matt Hawk threw a touchdown pass to Jason Sanders on a play that is being called a fake field goal. I don't know that you can actually call it a fake field goal, though, because the Dolphins were never really lined up for a field goal. They were just in this wacky formation. And the Dolphins win 37-31. to But also on this day, the Cincinnati Bengals... The team that we were waiting for, waiting to see them win a game because we knew that if the Cincinnati Bengals could win a game and the Dolphins kept losing, the Dolphins would once again have the number one draft pick in their own, in their control. The Bengals defeated the Jets 22 to 6. Now the Jets lost to the Bengals and, you know, the Jets become the first team in NFL history to lose to two winless teams at, uh, and week seven or later. And gosh, you just hate to see it. You really do hate to see it. But the Bengals get the big win. So this was the this was the thing the Dolphins needed. It was a dominant performance by the Bengals. The Washington Redskins got a victory on the road, 29 to 21 against the Carolina Panthers. The Redskins worked awfully hard, tried really hard to blow that game at the end, but ultimately they held on. So this would have put the Dolphins back in the driver's seat. Would have left them 
with the New York Giants at 2-10, and one game back of the Cincinnati Bengals with the Dolphins knowing they have games yet to come against the Giants and the Bengals. The first, the first one, the first pick, the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft was within the Dolphins' grasp, and instead, they put on the performance of the season, offensively anyway, and come up with a huge victory, 37 to 31 over the Philadelphia Eagles. And you go, man, it's such a same old Dolphins thing for them to do to win a game on a week where they were ready to be back into more or less pole position for the number one pick in the draft in 2020 so that they could have whoever their guy is. Now, not to get too carried away, the Dolphins are still currently in the four position in the draft. But the thing is, if the Dolphins continue to perform like this, the Dolphins still have games against the Jets, Giants, and Bengals. The Dolphins currently sit at three and nine. It is not impossible to envision the Miami Dolphins turning around and finishing this season, the season where they were supposed to be tanking and rebuilding and finishing six and 10. Man, same old Dolphins. But Brain, on the other side of the same coin, this is a very positive thing for the Miami Dolphins because this team has no quit. And under Brian Flores, this team is going to fight and fight and fight. And if they're able to win games like this with this roster, just imagine what this team is going to do when they actually have a roster chock full of legitimate NFL talent. Uh, I don't know, Brain. Are you, do you come away from... I'm frustrated because it's just... You know, we know what the goal for the season was, and now the Dolphins are further away from getting it. But at the same time, it's not all bad news because this is a really good result. So I'm just, I'm confused. I don't know how to feel. The game just ended maybe 20 minutes ago as we're sitting down and recording this. And I'm just, I'm just flabbergasted because for a change, the Miami Dolphins have left me happy, sad, angry, ecstatic, and just overall shaking my damned head. Brain, what are your thoughts on this one? What they've done is is they've put what is normally the entire range of emotions that you will feel over the course of an entire Dolphins season, they have put it into one game. All of that excitement and exuberance and then ultimately frustration and depression that you would feel over the course of an entire season, you just feel after this one game because of what it means. And it's it's not terribly dissimilar from what happened just under a year ago. 51 weeks ago, the Miami Dolphins pulled off the miracle in Miami, defeating a Patriots team on uh, the lateral play with Kenyon Drake, Crossing the goal line, the Dolphins getting an improbable victory, and then, you know, exciting the fan base, making everybody think that there was a chance that this team was going to make a miraculous playoff run, only to lose out the remainder of the year, and then look back at that pick and say, eh, you know, 
that that pick probably cost or that win probably cost us three spots in the draft. And now here we are nearly one year later and it's very similar, although the stakes are higher because you're not talking about, you know, picking whatever it was, whatever it was that we picked this year. Was it eighth versus picking fifth? You're talking about picking first versus picking fourth, which could be the difference between getting the franchise quarterback and not getting the franchise quarterback. So it's very frustrating and I'm not happy that they won this game. I want to make that perfectly clear. But at the same time, this was always, this was always part of the transaction at the beginning of the year. When you, when you're ripping the team down to the studs and you're quote unquote tanking, rebuilding, whatever you want to call it, and you're bringing in a brand new coach to do it. You had to ask yourself, what do you want out of this season? Do you want the quarterback, which at the time we felt pretty strongly was Tua, or do you want Brian Flores to be a good coach? And it's it's a difficult decision because there's a lot of good coaches that have struggled to win championships because they didn't have the quarterback. And there are a lot of good quarterbacks that have struggled to win championships because they haven't necessarily had a good coach or haven't had the great team around them. So the Dolphins did everything that they could to stack the deck in their favor, but even still, there was no guarantee that they were going to get the number one pick. They still are in prime position to build this thing correctly. And the fact that Joe Burrow has stormed into the conversation and appears to be now the top prospect at the quarterback position and Tua Tagovailoa is hurt and now there are question marks about whether he's even a top five pick but you also have doctors saying that he's going to make a full recovery and so the the feel is the sense is that he's he's going to come out and as long as his rehab is going well He's gonna, he's probably gonna be there because at this point with Washington and New York having taken quarterbacks in the first round next year, I think they're less likely to take a quarterback who is a perceived risk because of injury. Uh, you know, if, if Tua and Burrow were both coming into the draft and they were super healthy, then I think they're going one and two in the draft. If either of those top two teams have any questionable need for the quarterback position. It looks like, look, if the Bengals get the number one pick and with the Dolphins winning this game, the Bengals are in great position to get that number one pick. They're going to take Joe Burrow, I would think. But after that, if the Dolphins do end up with the number four pick, I don't think that the Giants are going to take a quarterback. I don't think that the Redskins are going to take a quarterback. You do then have that situation where, well, maybe somebody else that's a little bit lower down that picks behind the Dolphins would be willing to trade up for Tua and that would cause the Dolphins to be in a situation where they too have to trade up for Tua but I don't think it costs as much because you're no longer talking about this quote-unquote sure thing this can't miss prospect with no risk there's now a bunch of risk and I don't think that there's going to be a bunch of teams that are willing to to give up more than two first round picks for it. And the Dolphins are still sitting in a position where don't forget, we've got five picks in the first two rounds over the next couple of years. We also have nearly $100 million 
in perceived cap space coming into this season. The Dolphins are still in great position to build this thing correctly and build the foundation of a championship team. They've made it substantially more difficult to get their quarterback. That's what they've done, and that's frustrating. But it's important to not just be jumping off the ledge because we won this game and because we're three and nine and because we're playing better at the end of the day, you'd rather they have lost, they'd have lost this game. You'd rather the Eagles would have caught that Hail Mary at the end of the game and won this game 38 to 37. Cause then you'd be saying, man, we played a whale of a game and we still managed to lose and we still are in pole position for the number one pick. But the overarching, the, the overwhelming takeaway that, that I have is just, it is incredible what they are doing with these players because they're playing with not just the worst offensive line in the league, but what has probably been the worst offensive line in the NFL in recent history. It is, it is a horrific offensive line. They're playing with, they're starting running backs that, uh, you're starting a guy that is arguably the worst running back in the history of the NFL. He's going to, he, he currently is looking like he's going to end the season as the only running back ever to have over 200 carries or over 100 carries and average less than two yards a carry in Kalen Balazs, an undrafted free agent in Patrick Laird, and a seventh-round pick in Miles Gaskin. You have by far the worst rushing offense in the league, and somehow you're managing to to put up points. And then on the defensive side of the ball, save for a handful of, of high picks, which is basically... Jerome Baker, a third round pick, Raquan McMillan, a second round pick, and Christian Wilkins, a first round pick. Save for those guys. Those are the only three guys playing right now on our defense that were picked in the first three rounds. The majority of these guys picked up off the scrap heap. Majority, the almost the entire secondary picked up off the scrap heap after the preseason. And you're managing to win football games, to win three out of five. You know, it's, it's impressive what they're doing as a football team compared to the talent that they have. And that has to make you feel good about the coaching staff, but I'm not going to do the whole thing where we're talking about what a great coach it is, or what a great coach Brian Flores is, uh, you know, certainly not 12 games into the season. And I'm not going to do it after one season because we did the same thing after Tony Sperano and we did the same thing after Adam Gase. So I'm not going to go there, but it's, you certainly have to feel good about it. You have to feel good about what you've got in a coaching staff and you have to feel good about the position that we are in going forward. And the fact that we're playing the way that we're playing with this roster means that if they draft well and they use the free agent cap space wisely there is there is the potential for them to turn this thing around really quickly because the way that they're playing right now if you're adding six seven eight nine ten impact players onto this roster and then you're getting back Preston Williams 
and you're getting back Xavier Howard and you're you're strengthening your O line, you're you're strengthening your D line, and you're getting a whole lot more depth. As long as everybody's bot continues to buy in, and and Brian Flores and this coaching staff stays true to who they are in keeping holding these players accountable, keeping them disciplined, and coaching them up to get better week in and week out, then the future is still very bright for this football team. The question is. Can they get the quarterback? Look, if they end up finishing this season 5-11, and 11, but they still end up, whoever it is, whether it's Tua, whether it's Justin Herbert, which, look, I'm not high on Justin Herbert. A lot of people aren't high on Justin Herbert. But if that's who they end up taking and he ends up being good, whoever they end up getting, if they end up being good, this team is in position to be a championship contender for the next decade. Because of the moves that they made this offseason and the progression that they're making with this coaching staff this year. So, look, it's frustrating that we won. It certainly does more harm than good that we won this football game. I'm not going to deny that. But it is not a complete, utter disaster. Well, let's get into the game itself. We'll start with our positive takeaways here. And I think the biggest takeaway from this game, what I think is the overarching biggest takeaway of this game and perhaps the season is Devontae Parker has arrived as the wide receiver that we always hoped he would be. This was the game where he was repeatedly making catch after catch, contested ball after contested ball. He was making the plays. He ended with seven receptions, 159 yards, and two touchdowns. And this was the Devontae Parker game. And is it just that he is being allowed to thrive the way that he is supposed to um, in Chad O'Shea's offense, as opposed to how he had been used in Adam Gase's offense? Is it that he is finally at a place where he is fully 100% healthy and able to go out there and actually ball the way that you would want him to? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just that he has incredible chemistry with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Whatever the case may be, Devontae Parker has emerged and had what is, in my opinion, the best game of his career today. I know he had bigger numbers, gaudier numbers in that game last year against Houston, but this was the first time that you really saw him fulfill that role of the number one receiver who was going to go out there and fight for the ball and make the big play when you really needed it. It was just such an impressive performance, top to bottom, from Devontae Parker here today. Rain, what were your thoughts on this game from Devontae Parker? I mean, he was a stud. He looked like an all-pro. He looked like the guy that we have been hoping to see since we drafted him out of Louisville. I think, look, all of those things, him being healthy, him being utilized correctly by the coaching staff, those are all, those are factors. But I think the, the, the number one factor is, Look, he came out this offseason and he said, look, I want to rewrite the narrative on my career and I want to be a Miami Dolphin and I want to turn my career around and be an all-time great. And he is a long way to go for that. But he has been consistent all year long. 
gone are the nagging injuries. So he's clearly doing putting in the work off the field to take care of his body because that was one of the biggest question marks when it came to Devontae Parker over the early stages of his career. And it's just consistency on the field. We're not seeing the drop balls. We're not seeing the lack of of hunger, the lack of effort in going up to grab the ball uh, in on those 50-50 balls. In fact, what we saw today was every single 50-50 ball, it was Devontae Parker coming down and making a big play. And while I'm not going to say that it was his best game as a Miami Dolphin, because like you said, numbers-wise, uh, he had that big game last year, the reason that you feel better about it is because he's been doing this all year and he's especially been doing it over the fir- over the last 4 weeks. He just he did it amplified today because he got more opportunities and he just he just made the most of his opportunities, but over the last 4 games, his last 4 games, he has 25 catches for 454 yards. And he is now on pace for the year to finish with over 1,100 yards. I know in last week's post-game show, I said that he was on pace to get over 1,100 yards. I discounted one of the games, I actually, in the math. But he is now on pace to get over 1,130 yards. Uh, and he is now, if he plays at the pace that he's been playing over the past month, and he finishes the season out like that, he has a legitimate shot to make a Pro Bowl, which is incredible. And at that point, you might have to consider whether or not you want to give him a contract extension. There's been some talk about it. I personally would not because you've got him under a, you've got him under a, a team friendly deal next year. And he's a guy that has certainly had questions about consistency in his past. So I wouldn't necessarily be bought in right now and just give him, you know, some big, some big contract. I would, I would make him earn it. And then if he does what he does next year, then you're looking at, you know, you either can have your contract negotiations in the middle of the year and try to extend him then, or you can just say, look, we don't want to pay the huge amounts of money for that number one pick. But if he goes and earns himself that contract, then you're getting a bunch back in, you know, as far as compensation with the compensatory pick. And then you're hoping that you then have Preston Williams basically take his place and you start that that rotation of players. Because remember, the, the Patriot way is not to just throw a bunch of money at your best players. It's to get them on team-friendly contracts and then either trade them the year before they become free agents uh, and, and get great value back that way or to get the most out of them over the length of their contract and then collect the draft compensation with the compens- with the compensatory picks. So and and just keep drafting guys to have behind them and that's why it again it is important to continue having the draft capital and continue to make these smart moves in the offseason. I think we're in great position and the fact that DeVonte Parker is doing what he's doing, it's great and I hope that he can keep it up and uh look, it Look, if, if if they can lock up Devontae Parker for like, you know, $9, $10 million a year over the next three years, then okay, I, I'd be okay with that. But, 
you know, if Devontae Parker goes and makes the Pro Bowl this year and then, you know, he's set to make like $8 million next year, I don't know why he would necessarily want to, I, I don't know why he, why he would want to discount himself because then if he goes out and does the same thing next year, he's put himself in a position where he can make, you know, instead of $10 million a year, you know, 13, 14, $15 million a year, like the top receivers in the league. Because if he plays the way he's been playing over the last month, he looks like one of the top receivers in the league. Yeah, it's still something of a small sample size when you talk about big picture career stuff. But the what we've seen this season indicates that Devontae Parker is finally starting to turn a corner for the Dolphins. And that is certainly a very good thing as this team looks to rebuild into the offseason. Uh, let's see what other positives are there for this. Yeah, I, I mean, we got to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. He had a heck of a game. You know, this was when we when the Dolphins signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. This was exactly the kind of performance that I, at least, was expecting and hoping to see from Fitzpatrick. The kind of gunslinger throwing the ball around through 365 yards, three touchdowns today, did have one interception on his very first pass of the game. But really, it was a really good performance from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And this game is the reason why he's still the starting quarterback. I've seen some people asking why in this lost season is Fitzpatrick still the guy that is starting games for the Miami Dolphins. And the answer is because of games like this, because this is what he's capable of. And he has been so much better than Josh Rosen. And granted, we've only seen Josh Rosen for a little bit, but in the the small sample size that we've seen of Josh Rosen, he's been nothing special. And we've known that Ryan Fitzpatrick has this in his back pocket. And quite frankly, this if you want to try to keep the locker room on board and have them believing that you're going out there trying to win games, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick start. And what happens? He goes out and has a game like this and the Dolphins get the win. And so this is the reason that he's going to be the quarterback, barring some sort of injury over these final few weeks of the season. He's going to be the guy the Dolphins go with the rest of the way. And this was a, a, just a very positive performance from Ryan Fitzpatrick. You'll remember when, when we signed him, I said, this is going to be great. The Dolphins will be fun to watch because Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to throw the ball around. And, you know, while he's going to look really great for stretches, the Dolphins will probably still end up falling short. The, the difference is this coaching staff, I think, is much better than any of us would have expected them to be, at least at this point. And so the Dolphins ended up getting the win today. But still, a very strong performance from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I really don't think you can be upset about that, Brent. Yeah, well, I, as much as it was one of the things that you were excited about when when we signed uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, this was also the very thing that you were afraid of when we signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, was that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to play the position too well for us to truly tank. And there are advantages to Ryan Fitzpatrick being the quarterback. The advantages being, I don't think you're seeing this breakout from Devontae Parker or from Preston Williams that you saw at the beginning of the season before he got hurt with Josh Rosen at quarterback. And that that was kind of my overarching point when it came to signing Ryan Fitzpatrick and ultimately playing Ryan Fitzpatrick, is that it's not all about evaluating Josh Rosen and it's not all about 
losing games, you also still need to evaluate the rest of the players on the offense, and having a competent quarterback back there allows you to do that. But you also have to take the bad with the good in that having a competent quarterback out there means that you're going to have chances to win some football games that you otherwise wouldn't win if you had an incompetent quarterback. If Josh Rosen was the quarterback for this football team, maybe we win that game against the Jets. But that's probably it. I don't think we win that game against the Colts uh, if it's Josh Rosen at quarterback. And we certainly don't win this game if it's Josh Rosen at quarterback. And that's going to be the argument right now for the people that are, you know, pro-tank. And don't forget, we're both pro-tank. But the argument is going to be, what good do you get out of Ryan Fat out of out of starting Ryan Fitzpatrick, and is it worth what you're what you're giving up? Is it is it worth the 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 benefit the cost benefit you know or the uh, the opportunity cost rather? Because the good that you're getting is you've galvanized the locker room and you've helped get guys to buy in and fight. And that's huge, especially in a coach's first year while you're trying to build the foundation of everything. And you've gotten some, you know, potentially, you know, one or two breakout players at receiver. And that's, that's important too for this team going forward. But what if it costs you having the franchise quarterback of the future. Because no matter how much we all love Ryan Fitzpatrick and love watching him play and love seeing him get all excited and try to bulldoze a a safety, even though he's, you know, (laughs) he has no chance at bulldozing that safety. As much as we love seeing those things, Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to be here very long. At most, he'll be here another year. Maybe, uh, you know, we keep him around for to be a backup quarterback for a couple years after that, but he's not going to, he's not your starting quarterback of the future. So is it worth it? Those good things that you got to potentially lose out on the starting quarterback. And it's tough, but I, I just think you can't lose the locker room. It's too obvious right now how much this team plays. I thought it was, I think it was Rondé Barber that made the point, or no, I think it was actually, it was a sideline reporter. I don't know who made the point, uh, who, who was on the sidelines for, uh, that broadcast for CBS in this game, but they made the point that you could feel the excitement on the Dolphins sidelines. And as much as people say that they fight hard and play hard for Brian Flores, the guy that they fight the hardest and play the hardest for is Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's important. I know that that doesn't show up, uh, you know, in the stat sheet and that doesn't show up, uh, when you're, you know, on paper, when you're making these decisions at the end of the year and you're saying, well, how much is this player worth and who can we keep and who the bottom line is having a guy like that on your team to, to really help galvanize the the troops to help them buy in is what's helping to build the foundation of this roster. It's not unlike what we saw back in 2008 with Chad Pennington when he came and really galvanized that roster and everybody got behind him. Now, granted, we ended up making the playoffs that year and 
then he got hurt the next year and he was never the same after that. And we weren't able to get the quarterback for, of the future. So it could be a cautionary tale that look, we, we brought in Chad Pennington, but if we would have gone, you know, two and 14 that next year, you know, maybe we would have drafted our starting quarterback and we wouldn't have been in the mess that we've been in for the past decade. Uh, if not for that. And maybe, maybe it's a cautionary tale in that regard. But I also think that this team has the foresight of knowing that they need to do whatever they can to get that young quarterback. And you have to like what you've seen from the coaching staff and believe that whoever they get, they're going to put the right game plan around them. And they're going to put themselves in a position where they're not going to buy in to whoever that quarterback is. And they're going to keep throwing assets at the quarterback position until they find the right guy. And as long as they do that with the cap space that they have, with the draft capital that they have, and with the perceived quality of the coaching staff that they have, they really could become a contender very quickly. Let's move on to the very next positive in this game, which it's it's kind of a weird one, but y- you have to say the offensive line because they were garbage earlier in this game. But in the second half in particular, they did just enough to give Ryan Fitzpatrick just enough time to make things happen in this game. At the end, he's only sacked three times. Uh, the Dolphins still struggle to run the ball, and we'll get to that when we talk about the negatives in this one. But... I think you've got to say that the offensive line certainly stood up, that much maligned Dolphins offensive line. While it certainly wasn't a great performance by any stretch of the imagination, you might not even say it was a good performance. They did enough to allow the Dolphins to score at one point on four straight possessions. Uh, so I'm going to give out some props to the offensive line today because I think they deserve it, at least a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they did just enough, which basically means that the Eagles went into man coverage and tried to put pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick and Fitzpatrick was really good at getting the ball out quick and getting it to the right guy is what it came down to. The the offensive line was still very bad and they still really didn't run the ball well. Uh, they didn't protect Fitzpatrick very much at all, but Fitzpatrick made some big throws and Devontae Parker, especially, and, and Mike Kosicki as well, made some great catches on some balls that were just basically jump balls where, where Philly brought the, brought the pressure and said, Hey, we're going to play man coverage. And Ryan Fitzpatrick said, Hey, I got a one on one matchup with a tall athletic receiver and a defensive back. And I'm just going to throw it up and hope my guy makes the play. And time after time after time, the Dolphins receivers were the ones that made the play, whether it was Gesicki or, uh, Devontae Parker. And I don't want to give the offensive line more credit than they deserve for it because I really don't think they were very good in this game. Fair enough. Were there any other positives into individual performances that you want to mention uh, aside from obviously the beauty of that trick play and Matt Hawk throwing the touchdown pass to Jason Sanders which by the way now means Matt Hawk has just as many touchdown passes this season as Josh Rosen <laughs> that's incredible uh I want to give credit to the Dolphins secondary because this was a struggle for them the majority of this game but they hung in there despite falling behind 
28 to 14 early in the in the third quarter. They hung in there and they did a decent job. Look, Alshon jo- Alshon Jeffrey got his and that that's going to happen from from time to time, but Eric Rowe basically shadowing Zach Ertz and Zach Ertz gets 24 yards. Yeah, he did have a big drop inside the five yard line in the third quarter. But, you know, outside of Alshon Jeffrey, you know, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, uh, nine catches for 88 yards, which is, look, that's, that's solid production, but it's not like they went off. It's not like they got off. That's production from two players. And the Dolphins did a decent job of containing those guys. And the guy that they really needed to contain was Zach Ertz. And they said, look, we're not going to let Zach Ertz beat us. And they didn't let Zach Ertz beat them. Uh, so, you know, great job by Eric Rowe. Uh, Jerome Baker was was on some coverage on those plays. Raekwon McMillan, Sam McGuavin. I know Baker uh, came out for a little bit of, of the game, was back in at the end of the game. Uh, the job that the Dolphins did... On, on Nelson Aguilar. I mean, look, the guys that are playing defense in that backfield for the Dolphins, Ken Webster, uh, Adrian Colbert, Nick Needham, Jamal Wiltz, Montre Hardage. These guys are all undrafted guys and they held it together. It's impressive what they're doing when they get some more talent there and it, the, the talent is just going to breed more competition and more depth. There, there is the making of there are the makings of them having a very good secondary, which is ultimately the staple of the Brian Flores defense that he's looking to build. You you get a ton of guys that can cover and tackle in that secondary. You get stronger on the defensive line, and we're on our way to getting there. But we've got to add a couple more pieces there, and then you get. Some guys that can do a little bit of everything at linebacker, including rush the passer. And that's probably the biggest thing missing from this defense right now. But what they're getting out of this secondary, which is beleaguered, battered, injured, and overmatched every single week. The fact that they are still competitive with this secondary speaks volumes of the job that the coaching staff is doing. And it speaks volumes of the effort and the the work, uh, just the you know the buy-in that those guys have, and it's impressive what they're getting out of those guys. It certainly is. Uh, I, ha- I do have one more positive, but it's sort of couched in a negative. So let's go there. Okay, the negatives are this running game is just atrocious. There's just absolutely nothing. There, Albert Wilson, who had his best game of the season, was the Dolphins' leading rusher with two carries for 31 yards. That includes a 28-yard run. Kalen Balaj was able to get absolutely nothing done in this game. He also ends up going out with uh, a lower leg injury. As of now, we're not sure what it looks like, but the, the hints and whispers that we're getting were indicating that he might be done for the season. So that allowed us to see a little bit of Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin. Gaskin had two carries for 20 yards. Patrick Laird had 10 carries for five yards. He did happen to score a touchdown. Laird was, this was the other positive, was that Laird had a pretty good performance with four receptions and 43 yards. 
including that touchdown that he had on the ground. Uh, so that was a, a nice thing to see for Patrick Laird. But the ground attack for the Miami Dolphins is just currently non-existent. And I'm really interested to see what this team does to sort of figure something out on the ground over the final four games of this season, as they may have now lost yet another running back this season. And maybe it's just time to rely on Miles Gaskin, Patrick Laird, and maybe even the fullback Chandler Cox. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on this atrocious Miami Dolphins running game? It's horrible. And it's it's a combination of the offensive line and the running backs, but it's mostly the offensive line. I mean, these guys have no room to run. Kalen Balazs is terrible. He never hits the hole, uh, the right hole. He has no vision. And the second he gets hit, he's down. So I don't know why on earth he's in there. And the fact that, you know, some people will say, well, he's in there because he's better in pass protection than, than Patrick Laird. Well, that may be so, but when Patrick Laird is on the field and we're throwing the ball, we're moving the ball. And it's just, look, I don't want to overstate Patrick Laird because he had 10 carries for five yards in this game. So it, was a very, it wasn't like he was lighting up the world on fire either. He was at half a yard per carry, which is atrocious. But it just, it scores, it underscores the fact that they have just absolutely nothing at their offensive line. There's no room to run. And, you know, the, the guys that they have aren't particularly talented running backs either. Uh, they will be getting, uh, well, no, they won't be because he's not on the roster anymore. So <laughs> they're not going to get Mark Walton back, uh, who would have been the most talented guy on the roster at this point. So, uh, Look, it is what it is. They've got what they've got, and they just have to figure out ways to manufacture yardage at times, whether that's a scramble by Ryan Fitzpatrick, whether it's a wildcat play, whether it's uh, Albert Wilson taking a jet sweep. They got to figure out ways to get something, but it's going to... It's going to take a complete overhaul of this offensive line, and it's it's probably going to take adding uh, one or two more players into the into the backfield and hopefully getting a guy uh, that that could be kind of a workhouse workhorse back. But I don't think that's you know I think having a guy that is a all pro workhorse back is a nice thing to have, but it's not a necessity to win at, in this league. So I think right now you just focus on fixing that offensive line, getting make sure that everybody's bought into the theme, developing the guys that you have currently on your offensive line and hoping that you can come up with a serviceable five-man offensive line that can that can both protect the pass and open up lanes in the running game and you get what you can out of the guys that you have and then when you're ready, then you can add uh that that big time running back somewhere in the draft or if you're really close and you're one piece away and that guy happens to be out there on free in free agency, then maybe you go and you add him in free agency. But I think we're a long way from worrying about that right now. The, the running game's not going to suddenly get better because the offensive line isn't going to suddenly get better. It's going to take an overhaul uh, over this offseason. But it's just another reason why it's amazing that this team was able to put up 37 points in this game. Truly is. A question regarding the running game comes to us from at 54, and 4 is F-O-U-R, 54 Effer. Is it a knock on the coach that it took an injury to finally pull Bellage out of a game? And I, I think 
sort of that question goes towards what we were just saying. It, it doesn't really matter who's in the backfield right now for the Miami Dolphins. Nobody seems to be able to get anything done except for we seem to have some mild success running plays out of the Wildcat. So maybe we're going to see some more of that going forward. But I don't I don't know that it's on Coach Flores that Balaj was in the game because Really, it did, didn't matter who was back there. Out of the guys that he has, nobody is able to really get anything going on the ground for this team, and that's because they're running behind an absolutely atrocious offensive line. I I, I agree. I, well, I, I I tend to say, yeah, like that's that that is kind of an indictment. It is kind of a negative on on the coaching staff because it's something that we've been calling for for a couple of weeks, and it's one of those things. Where I kind of, you know, go a little conspiracy theory on it and say, well, you know, maybe they're playing Kalen Balage out there because they, they're, you know, they're, they're literally not trying to win. But if they were doing that, then why not play Josh Rosen? So I don't think that that's the case. I think they legitimately, uh, thought that Kalen Balage was giving them the best chance. And yeah, that's, that's a negative thing. Uh, that, that shouldn't be, you know, necessarily glossed over, but look, the coaching staff isn't going to be right on everything. And so look, Kalen Balaj of all the guys in there is the guy that is most likely to both break a 70 yard touchdown run and also pick up, you know, a one or two yard gain when you need him to the most, just simply because of his size, speed, combination and you know he was drafted in the third round so they still have some high hopes for him so they were giving him a legit opportunity I do agree though I I think that it's been banging your head against the wall for a couple of weeks since uh the Mark Walton suspension to say like how much of this guy getting one to two yards per carry do you need to see before you start giving these other guys an opportunity? And he goes out with an injury today. And again, not like we lit the world on fire with our ground game after he came out, but Miles Gaskin did some things out of the backfield. Patrick Laird did some things out of the backfield. And you can see that when they get the ball in the open field, there's more wiggle, there's more vision, there's more creativity to their game. And so, yes, uh, I, I'm, I want to see what happens with this Balage injury. If he is healthy, I don't think that he should necessarily just be back there in the starting lineup. And if he is back there in the starting lineup, I certainly don't think he should have you know, this predominant percentage of the, of the timeshare back there. I think it should be a very even split between him and Patrick Laird with a little bit of Miles Gaskin, uh, sprinkled in. So I'm with the, uh, the Twitter, uh, question or wh- whoever the user was, uh, his name is escaping me. I'm, I'm with him on it that I, I would have made this move a while ago. Fair enough. There it is. Uh, let's see what other big, Standing negatives are there for us in this game. Jason Sanders missed an extra point, breaking a streak of 49 consecutive extra points that he had made. That's a negative. Dolphins could have won by seven points if he had made that kick. He's had a very up and down year. I mean, this are you is really going to fr- take a, take a joke about a mixed, mixed missed extra point and turn it into a rant here? Well, I'm not going to turn it into a rant, but. You got to be at least a little bit concerned. He's been, he's missed a couple of extra points. He's missed some field goals this year. I'm not saying like we need to go out and, and get a new kicker next year, but 
uh, coming into the year, you kind of you felt really good that we've got a kicker that we've got for the next four or five years, and that this guy's going to be a stud. And this year, there are some reasons to kind of look at it and go, eh, I don't feel terribly confident necessarily. I, I I felt coming into this year confident that if the field goal was less than fifty yards, Jason Sanders was going to make it. And now, anything, I, I mean, I don't even feel terribly confident when it's under forty yards. Because he's missing extra points. He's missing He's missing some gimmies. Listen, Jason Sanders is in on the tank. What do you want? Well, I love that about Jason Sanders. But if he's really in on the tank, you got to drop that pass. That's true. He's got, he's got to drop that pass in the end. <laughs> that, hurt, that hurt a lot more than the than the extra point. That's that's fair. Uh, Jason Sanders was what got caught up in a moment of personal glory. Uh, delusions of grandeur to go with the Star Wars terminology there for Jason Sanders with a big touchdown reception. Well, what are you going to do? That gives him more touchdown catches as a Dolphin than Yatiel Green, doesn't it? Oh, that, that hurts. Well, listen, you set yourself up for that one, buddy. You set yourself up for it. All right, what else about this game, Brain? Anything else? Anything else you want to talk about from this game that we have not yet covered? I think we covered it all. I don't think that there we're we're really missing out on anything that you know anything too egregious. Yeah, I, I think we about covered it. Very good. Then I think that's probably the place to wrap this one up. Brain, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain, and I am of course at Amplified to Rock. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash slash even same old dolphins. Uh, and of course we invite you to download rate review and subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. We really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show as well. Uh, we're also available anywhere that you get your podcasts. So uh, do a search for same old dolphins and you will find us. Finally, the same old dolphin show is part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. DolphinsTalk.com is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins, your number one source for Miami Dolphins news and information on the internet. So make sure you are visiting DolphinsTalk.com every single day and checking out all of the articles and podcasts available over there. All right, that wraps us up for this week. The next time we come to you, we will be previewing the Dolphins' return game against the Jets. It's going to be a little bit of a Jets revenge game, or are the Dolphins going to continue their winning ways? Last time the Dolphins won a game, they won the week after as well. So can they put together another two-game winning streak? We will find out later or later this week when the Dolphins take on the New York Jets. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other. We will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins!